Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. Eight oh three. In St. Louis, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it has been, it has been a tumultuous week, and specifically weekend, in America on the heels of the death one week ago today of George Floyd uh, of Minnesota, Minneapolis, at the hands of police officer Derek Chauvin. And as you might expect, and uh, with good reason, there have been a lot of protests, many peaceful across our country. And it, this is something, Michelle, that throughout the course of the last decade or so, uh, especially in the last decade, with so many unarmed black men uh, dying at the hands of police officers in our country, there have been a lot of protests and athletes especially African-American athletes, have become involved. And now it's more than that. We saw Chris Long and uh, his desire to help out with social justice issues. There is no way that as a 57-year-old white guy who's never been in law enforcement that I can really say that I have any experience in either side here. But I can say that the the violent killing of people and the violent reaction to those killings is something that should be unacceptable. I, I, uh, obviously, police officers are not here to kill people. They should not be. And all the police officers that I know, and I know many, and I know many listen to our show, are uh, great people that want to do things to help the community. And I have a, a lot of friends in the African-American community, leadership among that group, and none of them would ever want to see businesses burned down or people be hurt. But there has to be better communication and there has to be an avenue, and none of us know what that avenue is, to find a way to ending racism and achieving a level of peace among us as Americans. Absolutely. It's been such a, a heartbreaking week for so many reasons, but I think it, it starts and ends with that video. It shouldn't take a video of us watching a man, an unarmed man get murdered on the streets for us to listen as, as white people, as allies. But I don't know how anyone watches that video. And if you haven't watched it, I implore you to watch it. It's it's so difficult to watch. It's heartbreaking. I can barely talk about it without crying. It's to watch a man lose his life and cry out for his mother. If that doesn't have a physical reaction for you where you say, as as someone, as a human being, what can we do to make this better? 
then then you need to ask yourself why you don't have that reaction. But oftentimes these athletes are put on pedestals because of what they can do physically. And a lot of them say, I'm not here to be a role model. But whether they like it or not, because of their position in the world, people pay attention to what they say and what they do and how they react. And it was very positive for me to see great athletic leaders in our community like Adam Wainwright take to social media and what I thought was a very uplifting and positive way where you know he talked about his son that he adopted and his wife shared just how they're trying to you know receive everything that's happening and make a difference moving forward but I thought one thing that Adam Wainwright really did that struck me you talk about communication he texted Dexter Fowler and wanted to open a dialogue with him and say hey talk to me tell me I love you tell me what we can do to to make this better and he shared on his social media their conversation and I really think that people should go follow Adam Weimer and Dexter Fowler but Adam posted it at Uncle Charlie 50 and he shared their text and he talked about how speaking to Dexter Fowler his powerful words had an effect on him and his family and he said I'm I'm reading directly from Adam Wainwright's Twitter here's something my fellow white people need to know I reached out to him to tell them I was sure he didn't need my affirmation but just wanted him to know he's awesome and he's making a difference and Dexter's response was I appreciate the message bro your affirmation is actually needed the silence can be hurtful so I respect the hell out of you for reaching out would really be meaningful if you used your platform too. So to see athletes who do have this platform engaging in these conversations that can be difficult to have and putting it out there for other people to set an example, I think was wonderful. And there were a lot of people across the country, a lot of athletes that did spectacular things in trying to help quell a lot of the violence. Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics is from Georgia. He drove 15 hours so that he could get to Atlanta and be involved in the peaceful protests there. And here's what he had to say. Whatever, it's a peaceful protest, but definitely want to, being a celebrity, being an NBA player, don't exclude me from no conversation at all. First and foremost, I'm a black man and I'm a member of this community and I grew up on this soil, so I want to say that first and foremost, but it's a peaceful protest. We walking, and that's it. Raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you got you to gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. I'm 23 years old, I don't know all the answers, but I feel how everybody else is feeling, for sure. No question. And that's the big thing. America needs to hear these concerns. And I would just suggest that any person, especially a white person, put yourself in the shoes of a black parent. And think about having a son that is out there, a teenage or 20s or 30s, or as it turns out, in the case of this gentleman, a guy in his 40s. Think about having a family member that's out just trying to live life and always being afraid. 20% African-American people are 20% more likely to be pulled over than white people. Uh, And when you think about all the things that have happened since Michael Brown here in Ferguson through where we are today and put yourself in the shoes of a family member and especially as a parent of an African-American son, I would be afraid every time my son left the house. 
every single time because I wouldn't know what was going to happen. And I, the horrible, sad, terrible thing is that as the father of a white son, I don't have those concerns when my 25-year-old son leaves the house. It's so difficult to think about, but we need to think about it and we need to talk about it. And, you know, you heard Jalen Brown just then say, I don't have the answers. And I don't think any of us have a concrete answer, but that's okay because we need to continue to have the conversations until we come to a solution. It's not something that you can just take one action and it's going to fix everything. It has to, this is a systemic thing that has happened for generations. It's going to take time to heal. But I think with with all of us being in a quarantine, the state of the country right now, where everyone is, all eyes are on what's happening. And we are being forced to have these conversations that a lot of people may have shied away from before. And it's going to take continuous conversations and, and allies and people working together to figure out a way to make this end because it needs to end. There is a book called Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And... One thing that we should all know that we learned in kindergarten is what the right thing is. I have trouble imagining that uh, clearly Derek Chauvin didn't know what the right thing was. But I have to believe that there was one Minneapolis police officer around that group among those four or that was around that situation that knew what the right thing was. If something is being done to somebody, do the right thing. And say, hey, we can't do this. This isn't acceptable. That's one way to help stem the tide of uh, the the racism and the violence is just to, even if you aren't the one doing the wrong thing, get people to do the right thing and take some initiative and say, hey, we can't do this. This is, not only can we not do this, but it's 2020. And we're supposed to be well beyond this. Right. So do the right thing. It's, that should be, Jim Cruz always said, do the next right thing, the former SLU basketball coach. To me, that's a good place to start is think about what you learned in kinder, kindergarten about what the right thing is and do the right thing. Couldn't agree more. And I hope that in two weeks, we're still having these conversations and moving towards progress. I Because you would think this is not the first time that we've seen something like this happen. This is not the first time we've seen people outraged at the state of racism in our country. But it does feel different this time. And I don't, I can't really articulate why, but I really hope that whatever it is about, about this time feeling more, more, more of like, hey, work on the precipice of people. Enough is enough. What mm -hmm. can we do to fix this? I really hope that those steps towards progress continue. I really do. From the 636, wish these athletes and media people would, would reach out to some officers to hear their story, especially these athletes and people demon, demonizing them. I said right off the top, when we go to Enterprise Center, when we go to the ballpark, when, I, when I'm around town, I make an effort because I know that Police officers and first responders are listening to me, and and they're listening to you. And they they are our friends, not yeah. only on the radio, but they have taken that job to serve and protect. Yes. And every single police officer I know, I, I try to do a lot of things with the Code 3 response, which is to help out police officers that are injured in the line of duty. And... Uh, I, I try to do every charitable event I can to help out police officers or uh, being uh, or, or uh, law enforcement, the FBI golf tournament, things like that. 
and they're all, 100% of the, the police officers I know are great. The, the problem is, is that less than 1% like Derek Chauvin. And that's what we're looking at. So, yes, I agree that we do need to point out that the vast majority of police officers understand that if it says on their cars to serve and protect, they understand what their credo is and what, why they're with us. But they also are living in fear. There's no doubt about it. We've had multiple officers here uh, in our metro area that have been shot and either killed or uh, debilitated for life. So I'm not minimizing the risk that they go through every single day of their lives. I'm just hoping that we can find, like I said, an avenue to stop the violence. And I completely agree with you. And to that texter, just like you're saying that we shouldn't, in a broad statement, say all officers are like Derek Chauvin. Don't you want to listen to black people when they say, don't with a broad brush assume that every black man is a threat or a criminal? Let's, let's, I mean, I think the sentiment is the same for every, every avenue of this it's not everybody should be looked at in one we shouldn't be you know we shouldn't be labeling people this way and at the end of the day the bottom line here is there is no reason there's no excuse for any person to ever kill another person we don't value life in this country enough and we have to teach our children And hopefully we can teach everybody that life is important and we only have one and we all have families. Uh, George Floyd has a family and uh, the the young Aubrey kid had a family Uh, and Michael Brown was a son and... The police officers that have been shot and uh, and debilitated or killed in the line of duty here in St. Louis, they all had families. And you are not affecting, when you kill somebody, just one life. You're affecting an entire family's and an, an entire uh, community's life. And whether you're doing it to a minority person, a person of color, an African-American, as a police officer, or anybody else, or whether you're doing it uh, to a police officer, you are affecting not just one person. And there's a clear lack of understanding about that in our country. And we got to start with the fact that we have to value life. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, headed down the stretch with our play, Gloria, as the Blues are going to wrap up a Stanley Cup championship this week. Kerbs next on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. The home show sale is going on now at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, wide plank and more. Visit one of the showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's or online at BoardwalkHardwood.com Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Great floors for every home with better selection, better value and the best service. Smallman on 101 ESPN. We do go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our buddy, the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, joins us on 101 ESPN, as he does every Monday. Kerbs, great to have you with us. How are you doing? I'm doing great, you guys. How are you? Everything's well here. Are you of the opinion that we're going to have hockey? Do you feel pretty good about everything that was accomplished over the course of the last week or so? 
I do. Uh, I, I've been confident that we're going to have hockey for a while. Um, I, I do believe that there are still hurdles to overcome, but uh, but I am confident that we are going to have hockey and they will play out the uh, the playoffs uh, here a little later on this summer. Curb, do you have any sort of inkling if you if you were to put a timetable on it, how soon we might hear an official date announced? Um, I, I got to think of probably a, a few weeks out. I, I think what they're going to do is they're going to get, uh, you know, sometime uh, later on this week, uh, not early next is when uh, that, that phase two part of their plan kind of kicks in. Uh, and I think they're going to see how that goes and monitor that. Uh, there's really, and, and Gary Bettman has always been like this, uh, and I don't think it's a bad thing, um, but there's really no reason right now to put an official date on anything other than to satisfy people's curiosity. Uh, and just, just because it, it could change, things could happen. They could get into this second phase and realize some things need to be adjusted. Some things aren't working. Some things are working great. They could change. So um, I, I think just going step by step, I think we can, what we can deduce, Michelle, though, is, you know, they're definitely eyeing sometime that first week or two of July to get, um, uh, you know, to get for the, the, the next phase, phase three, the training camp. And then you got to figure it's probably a three week or so period, at least after that, that you could get going, which would put us around the beginning of August. And again, that's, that's, that's not any inside information. That's just basing everything off of what, uh, what they said over the last week or so. Curbs, I think all of us as fans have really enjoyed this Play Gloria series, and we'll wrap it up this week as the Blues win the Stanley Cup. Through the four series that we listened to and we've gone through, starting with Winnipeg to Dallas to San Jose and now Boston, as you've re-listened and relived these games, is there anything particularly that has stuck out to you where you thought to yourself, yeah, that happened and that was really big? Oh, man, there's a bunch of those moments, to be honest with you. Um, there really are a bunch of them. But I think, I think Randy, the, the wild part is because we've gone back and, you know, I've had to open up the scorebook and we've recapped every one of these games in that hour-long pregame show. And there's notes in there that, that you had forgotten you had written, whether it be, you know, Jordan Bennington's record following a loss. That little things and big things. But I think the, the, the fascinating part to me that, that's reminded is, you can be a really good hockey team, and this was a really good hockey team. Uh, you still need some puck luck. I mean, and it is, and it's it's just fascinating to see that, you know, whether it be the wraparound by Jamie Ben that was stopped on the goal line, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. or you know, obviously the, uh, you know, and then the minute, you know, just over a minute later, Pat Maroon scores. Uh, whether it be Carl Gunnarsson hitting the post. I mean, I was I was thinking about this just last night. Uh, like, imagine. Imagine what had happened if it was Boston that wins an overtime in game two. You know, uh, and, and all of a sudden the Blues are down two games to none in the Stanley Cup final. Is, is that a complete series changer? I mean, so you've just got to have certain things kind of go your way. Now, it's the old, uh, you know, by, you know, luck is a byproduct of hard work. But that, that probably is, is the one thing is you've got to be good and you've got to be good to handle the bounces both for and against. And, and that's what the Blues were last year. Curves, we've been doing a lot of reflecting, as Randy mentioned, during the Play Gloria run. And, you know, we're in June, so we're coming up on the year anniversary of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. And, you know, Randy and I have talked about this off the air, but it just... There's so many reasons why you're you're glad that the Blues got it done last season. It was an unbelievable story. It was something that St. Louis has waited for for over 50 years. But 
to think that they got to win the Stanley Cup and have that parade and have fans in the stands and have that moment with the community for the first time then is really special now considering what we're going through today because I can't imagine if the Blues didn't win last year and they would have won this year how different it would be if the fans couldn't be a part of that. Well, there's that, that's a great point. There, there's two, two or three aspects to that. Uh, the first one is because because of the way uh, uh, you know, Chris Zimmerman and Steve Chapman had set up kind of our, the Blue Note Productions department, our content wing, our storytelling wing of the organization. They they really did an amazing job of chronicling a lot, even so much more than if you had relied on you know on just NBC or even the local news stations to try and put this together. So the content that you've been able to see and the Blues have been able to put out during this pause really really has been special. So. The, the Blues are in a good spot to capture a season of a championship like they had. That that's that that I think has been kind of number one there. Uh, the, the other part of that, Michelle, is can you imagine? And, and this has been the difference in, in having won. And I guess you know, after so many years, Cubs fans, Red Sox fans, they can all say the same thing. As well as the Blues are playing, imagine if imagine if you were the top team in the Western Conference with ten games to go. And you had not won the Stanley Cup last year. So imagine, mm-hmm. I mean, we will live this, right? So it's, oh, is this the year? I don't know. Will it be one year done? Oh, I don't know. You know, the angst and anxiety would just be killer again. Mm-hmm. And we'd, you know, I'd be sitting on the air going, well, you knock it off. This year doesn't have anything to do with last year. It's not three, all this other kind of stuff. That's not the case this time around. Now, you know, it's, it's, well, you know what it's like. You know what it's there. So you look forward to the playoffs with a very different level of anticipation and excitement because you wanted to feel that again now that you know that, that it could be done. So I, th- that, to me, I think is the biggest difference is just the overall feel of the fans going into this. And, you know, there's still a chance, by the way, guys. And this is, again, why paint yourself into a corner with a blanket statement that someone's going to try to hold you accountable for because apparently you're never allowed to change your mind in, <laughs> in, in this world anymore, right? Um, so... You're not allowed to smarten up or, or change your mind or, or, you know, or get enlightened. So Gary Bettman even said, look, the, right now the plan is a hub city for the first two rounds. But that, by the way, still has to be taken care of with the players and approve of the players. But the, the, there's still a chance and they're leaving it open that the conference finals or the Stanley Cup final could be played in the home cities. And why, why, why wouldn't you leave that open for you if things change and the government's let you put even 25% of the fans in a building. I mean, you might as well go ahead and do it, right? No doubt. Hey, Curbs, one more thing, and I know you think about this because you and I are, are the same in this regard. I want to spin it forward and talk a little bit about Petro. Do you think that the pandemic and obviously the resulting loss in revenue for the league makes a difference in the Blues' ability to keep Alex Petrangelo beyond this season? Okay, so if you just channel your inner Spock here, logic says you, you would think it has to, except for this factor. You, we just don't know what the economic look is going to be. And by, by that we mean we don't know what the league and the PA are going to agree upon as a salary cap. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just we just don't know. And so... If the salary cap were to roll back and, and, and there's no other provisions in there, yeah, it would be really hard. If the salary cap stays the same as, as what it did, then you got to think Doug Armstrong had a plan for how to fit it in. 
So that part, that part, we'll just have to wait. And I look at it more along the, the the lines of this. Sometimes, you know, like I was when we moved into our current house, we were selling our old house in Olivet, and that happened to be in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when you know the, the real estate market just tanks, right? You know, this this is part of a market. If you're a free agent right now in any of these sports, if you're a free agent coming in and you're uh, and, and you're thinking, well, this is the year, you just hit some really bad luck. Yeah. Probably in all of these sports, and and look, that's that's not a knock on the player or his ability and all. That could just be the economics of the sport, and that 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 to me is going to be one of the big challenges. These these players may have to make a decision on: Do I go short term and try and maneuver through this, or do we actually see owners, you know, offer up still big long term contracts, hoping that things change down the line? But that that to me will be the fascinating read and part to watch on both sides of this. And one other, one other point, Curbs, you talk about the economics because I think this will transcend the cap in a lot of situations because there are teams, as you know, that from a cash standpoint are living on the edge. And teams that miss out on the playoffs and miss out on that playoff money, the, the, the playoff gate, they aren't going to be as likely or as able, I would think, to go out and sign that big money guy this particular year. I would caution fans to not buy into the fact that the gate doesn't matter to sports teams, even even Cardinals fans and whatever. Like, like ticket revenue is still a huge amount mm-hmm. of revenue for these teams, uh, and and it does matter. It does make a difference. And you're right; it, it could. It, listen, man, I you have to wonder about some franchises' health. You know, the Blues not being one of them. And I'm not just talking hockey here, Randy. You just broaden it out to other sports. You, you know, you you do have to wonder about just the overall health of some other franchises, you know, when you look at this. And what, what, why – another aspect, again, broad, broad sports here, but, but just chew on this for a little bit. If you, if you could have a correction in the housing market, if you could have a correction in, in, the, in the stock markets, right, if you have these economic corrections in businesses, what would make anybody think that even if it is caused by a pandemic, you could not have some type of market correction in the sports world? I mean, it, it is a business, right? Right, no doubt. So if, you, if you really think about it, and, and maybe we started seeing it in baseball with how free agents were getting handled over the last couple of summers, right? But you, at, at some point in time, the idea that things are just going to continue to grow exponentially and just continue to go is just isn't going to work that way. And whether it be what the regionals are paying their uh, their teams, you know, when you start to see those numbers and you start to, re- you know, what Rogers paid the National Hockey League even, you know, for the contract to get the rights. And then they've got to start making cuts and different things because it's hard to make that number back, uh, whether it be forced because of the pandemic or other factors. The reality of it is, is just because you became a free agent in a certain year doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have this, you know, six teams coming at you and throwing the bank at you. It, you could have a market correction, and, and, and you do wonder if if part of that market correction is going to be forced by uh, – by this pandemic. I mean, shoot, even look, look at what the arguments are right now between Major League Baseball and the Players Union. And I know it's about pay this year, but don't be foolish enough to think that it's also not about an upcoming CBA negotiation, right? Right. So it could, that, that's, that, that is all part of this. And if you're an athlete to, to think that, that your business is recession proof, you know, I think pretty much only health care and funeral homes might be the only two <laughs> recession proof businesses, right? You're exactly right. <laughs> Curbs, great stuff as always. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. 
Okay, guys, have a great week. We'll talk to you in a bit. It, it, all right, brother. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. See, Cash is, I, I looked it up while Kerbs was talking. There were seven teams, according to Forbes, seven NHL teams that lost money last year, and four more, this is a third of your league, that made $3.6 million in operating revenue or less. So now you take away, if you're a playoff team, a million dollars a night in gate revenue, or if you're a non-playoff team, $600,000, $700,000 a night in, in gate for those five or six home games that you had left. It's a lot of money. It really is, and and that's a reality that I don't think a lot of sports fans even consider, that a sports franchise could not be very profitable. Yeah, I, I you think just it's assume, tough. right? Yeah, it, it's tough for hockey. And by the way, the Blues listed as making $20 million in operating revenue last year. So their profits were good, but without the playoff games, it changes. Mm-hmm. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we've got a returning fighter coming up on The Fight next on 101 ESPN. Think you can beat down Character? We sure hope you can. The Fight with Character, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 840, so let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into the fight. Colin, what are we fighting for this week? Since we have a returning winner, today's prize will be eligible for our listeners to win via our online stream at 101ESPN.com. Our prize is a four-person pass to throw axes, knives, and a custom spear lane at the axe hole located in Collinsville, Illinois. Open now. It's the St. Louis area's premier axe throwing venue. Sounds like a good time. Sure does. As Colin mentioned, we have a returning fighter. CJ is with us. CJ beat Randy on Friday, so he is returning today to see if he can beat him again. CJ, good morning. How are you doing today? Good. How are you guys? We are doing well. You ready to take on Randy again? I am. All right. Question number one, CJ. On this day in 1988, the Cardinals selected Brian Jordan, 30th overall in the MLB draft. What college did Brian play both football and baseball at? Hampton, Richmond, or Virginia Tech? Question number two. On this day in 1995, the Cardinals selected Matt Morris 12th overall in the MLB draft. Which National League team did Matt finish his career with? Is it the San Francisco Giants, the L.A. Dodgers, or the Pittsburgh Pirates? Uh, What was the first one again? First one was the San Francisco Giants. San Francisco Giants? Let's go Giants. Question number three. Before coming to St. Louis in 1994, Al McInnes won a Stanley Cup in 1989. Which team was he playing for? The Islanders, the Oilers, or the Flames? Uh, Flames. And question number four. Mike Anderson was the head men's basketball coach at Mizzou from 2006 to 2011. Where was he a head coach just before arriving at Mizzou? Was it Cal, UAB, or Auburn? Uh, UAB. All right. Colin is going to retrieve Randy here from the hallway. CJ, do you feel more confident today than you did on Friday? No, you got to go with the old no. Eh, not great. <laughs> Man, not great. All right, Randy is here. His mask is off. He's getting settled in. Randy, say hello again to CJ. Hey, CJ. Welcome back. Good to have you with us. How you doing? Thanks. Good. Good. Question number one, Randy. Yes. On this day in 1988, the Cardinals selected Brian Jordan, 30th overall in the MLB draft. What college did Brian play both football and baseball at? 
Okay, let's start with this. 30th overall. Uh, what college did he play at? <laughs> he was a Richmondist spider. Question number two. On this day in 1995, the Cardinals selected Matt Morris 12th overall in the MLB draft. Which National League team did Matt finish his career with? Um, I think he went to Pittsburgh. I think it was the Giants and then Pittsburgh. Question number three, Randy. Before coming to St. Louis in 1994, Al McInnes won a Stanley Cup in 1989. Which team was he playing for? He was with uh, a bunch of former Blues on the 1989, and he won the Connie Smythe Trophy, by the way, for the 1989 Calgary Flames. And question number four, Mike Anderson was the head men's basketball coach at Mizzou from 2006 to 2011. Where was he a head coach just before he arrived at Mizzou? The University of Alabama, Birmingham, UAB. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Sorry, CJ. Clean sweep for Brandy. He beat you 4-2, to two, not playing any games on a Monday morning. Uh, to run through the answer here, Brian Jordan uh, played football and baseball at Richmond. Matt Morris finished his career with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Al McKinnis won a Stanley Cup in 1989 with the Calgary Flames. And before arriving at Mizzou, Mike Anderson was the head men's basketball coach at UAB. CJ, great effort. Thanks for playing today. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you, CJ. Good to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. A lot of baseball draft questions. Yeah, right. So, the, uh, did you know, Michelle, That and I'll get the year for you. I thought it was 88. Maybe it was 87. There was another Chris Carpenter that played for the Cardinals, besides the Chris Carpenter that won the Cy Young Award in 2009. He, was, was and it he spelled was, the same? No, he was C-R-I-S. I thought so. He was a punter at the University of Georgia. The Cardinals what? drafted him. Uh, out of Georgia, and he might have been the 1987 first-round choice, and he wound up coming here and pitching out of the bullpen and performed much like a punter. You know, there's not many punter-pitcher combos out there. No, there really aren't. (laughs) You know, you see wide receiver outfielder, you've seen, you know, basketball player to to baseball. I I haven't ever heard of a punter-pitcher before. Did you know Vince Coleman's uh, cousin, Greg Coleman, was a great NFL punter for the Vikings, and Vince was a great punter at Florida A&M. Wow, he could have been an he was good enough to be an NFL punter. So Vince was something. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thanks for joining us here on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, Jared Goff is happily married, very happily married. We're going to tell you why next on 101 ESPN. ESPN's Dan Graziano had a piece at ESPN.com about the team's most married to their quarterbacks. And he says right now, the team that would, well, let's put it this way, Michelle, the team that would have the most difficulty in divorcing their quarterback would be the Los Angeles Rams. Mm, hate to see it, Randy. And this this isn't necessarily about them being happily married. If you're, if you're just going by happily married, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, that's the team that's most married to the quarterback, right? Without a doubt. But this is just from a financial, this is a transactional marriage, as it were. You know what this is, Randy? This is when a couple has been together all through college, and then they get their first jobs, and all of their other friends are getting married, and the guy says to his buddies, it's just the next step. 
Yeah. I'm doing it because it's the next step. When the Rams and Jared Goff went to the Super Bowl, we all knew that this this conversation was inevitable. We knew mm. that they didn't feel confident that he was the guy, but he was serviceable enough <laughs> to get them to a Super Bowl, yeah. and he wasn't a distraction. He wasn't, sometimes he was the reason that they lost, but that season overall, especially in the postseason, there were moments mm. where he thought maybe he could grow into something else, but because of the structure and the way that franchise quarterbacks are paid in the NFL, they had no no choice but to give him this contract. So what you're telling me is that when somebody asked Kevin Demoff, do you see fireworks when you kiss him? He said, no, but I'm comfortable. I don't even know if they're comfortable or if they've just, they're, you know, they've kind of given up. They're resigned to the fact that, yeah, we're together. This is, they probably sleep in separate bedrooms, Randy. Yeah, I would think so. They sleep in separate bedrooms. So Goff is number one. Uh, in terms of the Rams being married to him, because he has that four-year, $134 million extension signed in 2019. And we mentioned this earlier, March 20th, Jared Goff got a $21 million roster bonus for the coming season. His $25 million salary became fully guaranteed. A $2.5 million 2021 roster bonus became fully guaranteed. And his $15.5 million 2022 roster bonus became fully guaranteed. That means that the Rams will pay Goff $73 million in fully guaranteed money over the next three years. And it all kicked in on March 20th. $73 million in fully guaranteed money. It's crazy because I don't think anybody believes that he's an upper-tier quarterback. Mm-mm. He's good, but... He's not great. We we could name a half dozen right now that we'd rather have, mm-hmm. couldn't we? Yeah. Probably a half dozen young guys that we'd rather have than him. But when they, when they were faced with the option... Of signing him to this deal, what other choice did they really have to be coming off a Super Bowl run and then start over to to move on from him and draft someone else and start over? Well, let's see. You took him in 16, so 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. What you could have done is wait to until after last season to guarantee him next season, uh, this coming season. That would have been the fifth year option. And then just wait for free agency because or, or franchising because. It'd cost less to franchise him than to pay this $134 million. Then you have, or at least the $73 million, then you have, in my opinion, a better gauge as to whether or not he is capable of lifting the team or find out, and you didn't think you were going to have to, but now you're going to, was he a product of the dominance of Todd Gurley? I think a lot of people would say yes. I think he was. Because last year showed us a lot. Now, Mm -hmm. Cooper Cup not being with him in the first half of last season hurt him. But he... Uh, he right now, I think, is mediocre. But he is the most married guy to his team in the NFL. And we... we (laughs) Look at the Rams and the fact that even if there aren't fans in the stands, you know, you're unveiling your shiny new stadium this season. The team might be meh. And <laughs> who's the guy that is supposed to put butts in the seats if and when butts need to be put into the seats? It's your franchise quarterback. And if you're married to Jared Goff and it's a marriage, uh, it's a meh marriage, how do you think that that's going to translate to your fan base, especially when you continue reading on the story, it says that the absolute soonest that it would make sense for the Rams to get out of this contract is the spring of 2023. And think about what the state of the team could look like by the by the spring of 2023. It's going to look dramatically different. Dramatically different. You might not even have your boy genius anymore. You think so? By 2023, if he proves that he's not a genius... You need to sell tickets. 
or if the league, the league is caught up to him and, yeah. his, and the quarterback he was supposed to groom isn't isn't groomable. Yeah. So Goff is number one. We'll just give you the top few here. Tennessee is number two after signing Ryan Tannehill to his big deal. This is just financially. Teams married to their quarterback. Kirk Cousins with all of that guaranteed money from the Vikings is number three. Carson Wentz, four. And Joe Burrow is going to obviously get a big contract from the Bengals. He'll be number five. And then you move down all the way to Kansas City. Aaron Rodgers more married to the Packers financially than Mahomes to Kansas City. And Mahomes, by the start of the season, will will pass him. But Patrick Mahomes, according to Dan Graziano, is 21st in terms of the team being married to him. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah, if if you run through the top 10... How many of these guys are question marks? And if the team was honest with themselves, might be having conversations. If they could move on, if the financial constraints were not in place, that they would. Jared Goff and the Rams, I would say yes, mm-hmm. right? The Titans and Tannehill, obviously, they just signed that deal. But there are certainly questions of can can he continue to do right. this? Is this the right guy? Is he ever going to lead the league in passing again? Exactly. Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, we know the answer there. Wentz and the Eagles, as as much as people want to believe in Wentz, he's got to cons- consistently mm-hmm. put it together. The Bengals and, and Joe Burrow, that's an unknown. Okay, Russell Wilson, I think we can confidently all say yes, that works. Tua, unknown. Justin Herbert, unknown. And you get to Aaron Rodgers. So two... Or excuse me, Matt Ryan with the Falcons. I mean, tail end of his career, right? So, and then Aaron Rodgers with the Packers. So, two out of the top ten teams that are married to their quarterback can probably rest easy at night, knowing that it's a it's a good situation that they're in. There are good organizations and bad organizations, and one of the reasons that about five franchises have dominated this league for the last fifty four years is because there are about five good organizations, five elite organizations. And you look at the Chiefs as as the a perfect example of why when you do find the guy, you have to do everything in your power to put the pieces around him while he has mm-hmm. that rookie deal. When you know that this is the guy that we need to build around, you have to put your the pedal to the metal and do everything you can to supplement him before he has this monster contract that's going to limit the pieces that you can bring in. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, who is the biggest jerk in sports in the last quarter century? We think we might have it after the last couple of weeks. That's next on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.